it's really just a factor of demand and supply here. I mean, oil suppliers prior to the invasion were already running near the capacity. So obviously, as Russian supply gets taken off the grid, that's going to have a meaningful impact. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. Western countries have rolled out sanctions targeting the Russian economy and financial system, resulting in a freeze in the trading of Russian securities. In today's episode, Portfolio Managers Alfred Lee and Chris Heeks and your host, Mark Rays, discuss the impact of these developments on emerging market ETFs. They also examine shifting expectations regarding central banks' actions for the rest of 2022, price movement in the energy sector, Canadian bank earnings, and the benefits of asset allocation ETFs. Before we hear from the team, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. Hello, and welcome to our BMO ETF weekly insight call with our team of experts. I'm your host, Mark Rays, head of product for BMO Global Asset Management. I'd like to thank everyone for joining us today. We certainly appreciate you listening in. We're joined today by two of our portfolio managers, Alfred Lee and Chris Heeks. Thanks to both of you for making the time today. Well, let's get started. A lot going on once again. With the Russian invasion of Ukraine, we've seen the freezing of trading of Russian securities. And even now, beyond that, the suspension of subscriptions on a U.S.-Russia ETF. What does it mean for an ETF when the underlying market is closed? How does an ETF then continue to trade? And as a follow-up as well with BMO ETFs, while we don't offer a Russia ETF per se, we do have emerging markets, both bonds and equities. How are those ETFs impacted by this trade freeze? Thanks. Thanks, Mark. So I'll start with the first part of that question. I think the last time that I really remember a stock exchange being closed, I, I recall the, was the Greek stock market in uh, 2015. That was around the debt crisis they were having at the time, and they closed it for, I believe it was a two to three days, which is similar to Russia right now. We're going on the third day of, of the market being closed. But like you said, there was a Greece ETF in, in the U.S., there's a Russia one. And you know, not only did it continue to trade you know, it actually increased in volume. Um, it became more liquid. So, you know, sometimes we talk about in the ETF space, ETFs as a price discovery vehicle. And that's the great thing about it. I think, you know, when the underlying exposures are trading, then obviously we can price those NAVs. But in the absence of those underlying assets trading, the price will really be derived from supply and demand. And, you know, I think it's a very fair way to think about price discovery when you think if you're holding some assets, what are they worth? Well, they're worth what someone's willing to pay for it. So, you know, ETFs have this great characteristic of being, you know, an added price discovery vehicle, even when the underlying markets aren't trading. You look at that Russia US ETF, just much like that Greek uh, crisis at the time. It's trading, trading like water. The volumes are elevated probably about 10 times its regular volume kind of prior to the to this crisis. 
So, you know, ETFs can offer, you know, a lot of uh, price discovery, which, you know, is beneficial for investors. Um, you know, I think when you now step into the products that we have and the BMO exposures, you know, I think it's certainly beneficial that, you know, all the products we have in this space are well diversified uh, baskets. So, you know, I, I do count ourselves fortunate we don't have an 100% Russia uh, ETF because, you know, obviously uh, those stocks are under severe pressure. But we have an emerging markets bond. We have the MSCI emerging markets ZEM, which we've talked on the call. We have a few other strategies, equity strategies uh, in emerging markets that have a small exposure to to Russia. Um, but again, I'll circle back and just say that the benefit of diversified portfolios in general is to spread out that country risk. And I think it's particularly important in emerging markets. We see that and we've talked about it on the call. You know, China's had good years. China's China had like China had a great 2020, like maybe not as good as 2021. Um, but it's nice in EM. You know, I think spreading out those country risks does give investors, you know, a benefit because you know emerging markets are known for um, you know crises, often localized crises. You know, whether it's you know Russia had the currency crisis. Um, you know, certain certain um, geopolitical things come up in the EM. So spreading out and having diversified portfolios helps helps mitigate any damage. And and I think it's fortunate, Mark, that Russia is a pretty small component of these these funds. So we're not seeing a major, you know, substantial decrease in value. So, um, but again, uh, the fact that Russia is uh, currently not trading equities or bonds, you know, as an ETF investor it's kind of nice that you don't have to be too worried about liquidity because you can get it on the secondary market with that mix of supply and demand. Great. Thanks for that, Chris. Now, of course, <laughs> it does still mean that there's a lot more speculation in the market because when the underlying, of course, aren't available, as you say, it's it's solely based on the supply and demand um, of the ETF. So investors that are looking at that space as an opportunity do need to consider uh, spreads being wider, a lot more volatility in the market, uh, and the ETF is just going to reflect that. The price of oil is rising, and the BMO Equal Weight Oil and Gas Index ETF ticker ZEO is uniquely positioned to benefit from structural tailwinds. ZEO tracks large Canadian producers of oil and gas, offering pure play exposure with an equal weight structure that mitigates company-specific risks. To learn more about this convenient and efficient growth solution, visit bmoetfs.ca and search ticker ZEO. Let's switch gears now to fixed income, where, of course, we've been talking about Bank of Canada and central banks uh, around the world being pretty aggressive this year uh, about raising benchmark interest rates. Now, of course, we've got the Bank of Canada meeting here. Um, What does that mean if you look forward over 2022? Do you think that central banks can be as as hawkish as we're expecting them to be, or is this going to lead to more caution? And as you think about it, perhaps you could put it into an ETF framework uh, thinking about how it might impact ZAG or aggregate bond ETF. Thanks. Sure. So, um, you know, I think the invasion definitely does limit to a degree, you know, what central banks uh, can do from here. As you mentioned, you know, the Bank of Canada, they're set to make their uh, rate decision at 10 a.m., so just after this call. Um, so we'll get a first look in, in terms of what uh, the Bank of Canada decides to do. 
Um, so right now is looking at, um, you know, rate expectations or, you know, expectations that they're going to raise their rates. Bouncing around quite a bit. This morning it was priced in that 88% chance that we're going to get a rate hike uh, later today. Prior to the invasion, you know, we were having a lot of conversations with dealers, um, reading a lot of research. And, you know, over the last couple of months, it's it's, it's almost as if, you know, more dealers were anticipating um, almost a 50 basis point rate hike. I think at this point, you know, given the invasion, I think you know, that 50 basis point rate hike to, you know, off the jump, I think is going to be a little bit aggressive at this point. But, you know, when looking at the yield curve, just looking, you know, further out the yield curve, uh, the 10-year government of Canada yield, that's down about 26 basis points um, since the middle of February, which is a pretty notable move, given that the 10-year was about, you know, 2%. Um, but, you know, the, the rate moves haven't really been specific to North America. Obviously, you know, that's been felt around the world. Um, when you're looking at UK bond yields, the 10-year is on track for its biggest drop since 1992. But this has largely been due to, you know, a lot of safe haven buying. Obviously, as the invasion happened over the last couple of weeks, a lot of people are looking towards government bonds um, just as a way to to seek out a safe haven. But, you know, just going back to the 10-year yield, just given that the 10-year yield has fallen quite a bit over the last couple of days, I, I do think it, it limits how much central banks can move um, its overnight rate because the central banks here don't want to, you know, cause an inversion in the yield curve. So. You know, we're going to see what what the bank of Canada does later later on today. Um, earlier this year, the expectations for the bank of Canada was to do seven rate hikes. You know, we always thought that was a little bit aggressive. Uh, right now, uh, when you're looking at you know what the market is pricing in, it's pricing in six six rate hikes now. So I've, you know, already one rate hike has come off the table. But even when you look at the shape of the expectations, it's a little bit more on the back end now. So what that means is you know, the market is actually anticipating. You know, some of this conflict declare and then, you know, later on in the year, and hopefully as volatility subsides and, you know, hopefully, you know, the conflict gets settled a little bit, then the Bank of Canada could get a little bit more aggressive and start hiking rates more aggressively. But I think, you know, with the rates backing off here, I think that's going to be good for uh, ZAG, which is our aggregate bond ETF. Um, but I think overall, you know, what's been ha- happening over the last couple of weeks, it's a good reminder why you should have a diversified portfolio. I think. You know, coming to coming into the year, a lot of people were, um, you know, discounting bonds. Uh, people were, you know, just calling for, you know, going all into equities. But I think, again, the last couple of weeks is a good reminder why you should have a diversified portfolio, having some bond exposure in your portfolio in order to, you know, smooth out that ride. Um, but I think overall, you know, I think if the conflict continues, um, I, I, I do think, you know, a lot of people are going to be seeking out safe havens, which is going to keep rates low. My worry uh, going down further road, going down further down the road, is that it's going to limit how central banks can, you know, how aggressively they can act in order to contain inflation. So as the world starts emerging out of the you know COVID crisis and as the economy starts opening up, uh, what's going to happen is that you're going to get more upward pressure on demand, which potentially means higher prices and continued inflation. So, you know, overall, I think that lower rates is going to be good for bonds. So the repricing that we've seen in bond yields, um, that's going to be good for ETFs like ZAG. But I think down the road, I think you also need to offset some of those inflation worries with, you know, a small position in something like a ZTIP.F, which is our short-term U.S. TIPS ETF. So I think by mixing in 5 to 10% of ZTIP.F with ZAG, 
I think that's going to go a long way in terms of mitigating some of that inflation risk as well. Great. Thanks for that, Alfred. Now, we did talk about energy last week. We talked about uh, oil and gas. And if we look at the markets and what they've done since, it's been a very different story where, of course, you've seen barrel of oil pop through $100, whereas natural gas has essentially hovered at around 450 You know, that's despite the announcement in Germany that they're going to be turning off uh, one, of the, one of the gas pipelines from Russia. So when you think about this market, what's ahead and as well, what does it mean for North America and perhaps our ZEO ETF continuation of that discussion from last week? Thanks. Yeah, so definitely a lot of price action in the energy space right now. I think you know, when you look at the Brent crude prices, it was up 6% yesterday. Uh, WTI, which is more North American focused, that was up 8%. So definitely, you know, it's definitely applicable to North America as well. But, you know, natural gas, um, a lot of, uh, you know, price activity in that that space as well. Um, I remember not too long ago, I think, you know, a couple of months ago, you, you could get natural gas for $2 per BTU. Um, I think last week it was trading above $6 uh, per BTU. So definitely a lot of action in the energy space. Um, I think the Chris has did a good job in terms of covering, you know, the impacts of the invasion uh, and how it affects demand and supply in the energy space last week. But um, overall, you know, it's really just a factor of demand and supply here. I mean, you know, oil suppliers prior to the invasion were already running near the capacity. Um, so obviously, as you know, Russian supply gets taken off the grid, that's going to have a meaningful impact. Russia is, you know, one of the largest exporters of oil and gas. Um, so that's definitely going to take a lot of energy off the grid. Um, but prior to the invasion, I mean, when you look at demand and supply, demand was already far outstripping supply. And obviously, if you take this, you know, the Russian supply off the market, that demand supply equilibrium is going to be thrown off even further, further off. Um, you know, on top of that, you know, when you look at the long term kind of trends in the market, obviously, we get this global push towards, you know, moving towards renewable energy. So very little uh, capital expenditures have been placed towards, you know, building up infrastructure for traditional fossil fuels. So that's, you know, obviously had an impact on people's everyday life, everyday life. I mean, um, you know, at this point, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are feeling the pinch. You know, last time I filled up my my car, it was you know, well over $100. Heating, heating bills have gone up. Grocery bills have, have also gone up due to uh, rising transportation costs as well. Um, you know, even when you look at some consumer staple and consumer discretionary stocks, uh, some of them are feeling the impact due to, you know, the inability to pass on some of these higher transportation costs, you know, to the end consumer. Um, I was at, I was reading a, a report yesterday for an Australian retailer, a super retailer. So I think they're like a Canadian tire um, store down in Australia, but their first half profits were down 35% due to rising transportation costs. So, uh, you know, higher energy costs definitely having an impact on certain parts of the market right now. Um, but I think a good way to hedge this is, you know, obviously going into energy uh, stocks. So the energy sector obviously isn't, an area that's going to benefit from higher energy prices. So when you look at ZEO, um, you know, the way I view this is it's almost like a good hedge against, you know, some of the rising costs in your everyday life. Um, ZEO year to date has been up 22% compared to the TSX, which is roughly flat. Uh, the S&P 500, which is you know, obviously less energy heavy than the TSX, that's down 10% already year to date. Um, 
But I think the good way to play that you in your portfolio or your energy exposure is, you know, if you're up 10 to 15% in your energy related stocks in your portfolio, you could essentially rebalance every, every now and then. So take a little bit of profit off the table, take some of the house's money and reallocate it to, you know, parts of the market that are trading cheap. So, you know, the core of your portfolio, things like high quality blue chip stocks that are, you know, um, underperforming the market right now, but are good long-term positions, things like low volatility stocks and low volatility ETFs. Um, anytime ZEO is up 10 to 15%, uh, it's a good good time to rebalance into, um, you know, the core of your portfolio. Great. Thanks for that update, Alfred. Now let's stay with Canadian sectors and turn to the banks, where of course now we're into earnings season. So can we get your comments on bank earnings and what that might mean for ZED, our equal weight Canadian bank ETF. Thanks. So we're just uh, just through the reporting period on the banks. Uh, BMO and, and uh, Nova Scotia uh, reported yesterday. Um, big overall, very solid earnings, and you know just showing the fundamental strength of of the Canadian banks. You know the, the diversified business mix, um, always a strong contributor. Um, if you look at the drivers, the credit exposure, you know, that was obviously during the worst part of COVID, highly um, uncertain. That's been managed, continues to be managed. We saw banks locking in some benefits of rising rates, although you're seeing a little pullback in rates, as Alfred notes. Um, the biggest driver of, of uh, you know, really bank performance across the board uh, was capital markets. Um, so trading revenues and investment banking. You know, typically, when we see a little more volatility in the market, that's a re- that's a good uh, driver of trading revenues. So more trading is happening. There's more commissions being paid, and then on the investment banking side, um, you know, we saw quite a bit more on the deal uh, deal making and companies coming into into the market. So I think capital markets was kind of the standout kind of component of the banks. But again, um, that varies from quarter to quarter, and you know, there's really um, you know really uh, pretty strong performance across you know, the kind of the suite of businesses, you know, now you're seeing a couple big deals um, announced in the last you know month or so, you know, BMO is buying the Bank of the West. Um, I believe that's 15 or 16 billion. TD is buying First Horizon, a similar size deal. I saw Bank of Nova Scotia is adding to their international businesses as well. So, you know, I think strong results, really strong capitalization that Canadian banks are known for. Um, you know, driving very good results and, and we're seeing kind of expansion. In terms of, I think, you know, we can't talk about banks without talking about Ukraine. And, and for sure, I think, you know, one of the things that's weighing on on bank investors is the exposure to this, um, you know, the impact of the disconnection of Russia from SWIFT and, and perhaps, you know, knock-on effects. That's causing some anxiety in the financial, um, you know, obviously in financial markets in general, but specifically with regard to banks. Um, With those 10-year rates coming down, you know, we've talked about banks benefiting from rising rates, but as those kind of expectations are moderating a bit, given the geopolitical climate, that's been a bit of a, you know, a detractor for banks as well. But, you know, on a big picture, I think the Canadian banks are, you know, like since 2008, you almost have to say, in a great place to be, um, really well capitalized, uh, re- really well run, no bias, right, Mark? Um, but, you know, great diversified businesses. And, and you know, despite coming off a year where, you know, we've had a 30% return on a one-year basis, 
the recovery on the fundamental side has been very strong. And if you look at the forward price to earnings, the forward price to book, they're they're very reasonable. They're they're pretty much at or slightly below the ten year average. You know, I think there's going to be some more dividend growth coming uh, this year. You know, the, some of those banks doing those larger deals, they might have to maybe not increase their dividend. Um, you know, until those deals get get financed, but and they're certainly not going to cut their dividend. I would, you know, obviously so. But, you know, from some of the other banks, I'd expect dividend growth to come through. So, you know, I think with some of this volatility that's in the market and, you know, is Eddie B coming a little bit off the highs, you know, hitting those highs of about $42 back around $40 this morning. I think it's a buying opportunity. I think it's it'll continue to be, um, you know, an, an area of interest, uh, you know, as we navigate the year. Great. Thanks for that, Chris. Good to hear more positive news on the banking front and what that means for ZEB. Introducing the new BMO Canadian Bank Income Index ETF, ticker ZBI. Investors looking to generate additional yield and mitigate rising rates now have an ETF that provides access to higher yielding securities combined with the strength of Canadian bank credit. To learn more about this innovation in fixed income ETFs, visit bmoetfs.ca and search ticker ZBI. I got one more question for today. A couple of advisors coming in and noting that our asset allocation ETFs have just hit their three-year mark as of the end of February. Certainly some interest in these vehicles as, as a convenience tool, uh, something to really set as a core within a portfolio. So while we have seen a lot of broad investor interest, even, even some use by advisors, uh, can you comment on the experience and performance using ZBAL, our 60-40 balanced ETF? Thanks. Yeah, for sure. And I think with these solutions, like you said, not only are they convenient, they're low cost, you know, they have that one ticket solution aspect to them. It's not just about that. It's also about really strong performance. So, um, again, having, you know, I think a disciplined approach to investing tends to do well for investors over time. I'd say that characterizes the, the vast majority of our lineup at BMO ETFs. It's having a rules-based process, uh, you know, to get from point A to point B. I think nowhere is that more so the case than, uh, you know, ZBAL or our other asset allocation ETFs. But speaking of performance, so the three-year annualized return is 8% per year. Um, pretty good. Um, there's always something that's been, you know, working and whether that's, you know, generally speaking, equities have been pretty strong. But, uh, you know, as we note, there's periods where you, know, you want to have that fixed income in the portfolio and, and ZBAL always has it there, rebelling on a quarterly basis to make sure um, that that asset allocation mix is, is continually managed and reset. But, you know, where does that 8% per year put it? I was just taking a look at the Morningstar um, percentile rank on a three-year basis. The rank is 12. So that's a percentile out of 100. So, um, you know, a solidly first uh, quartile ranking there. And there's, well, it says, it says there's 800 plus funds in the space over three years. I, I, there's certainly some extra series there, but certainly hundreds of funds in this space. It's a big space balance investing. And to be, you know, right in the middle of, Q1, I think, is is, is fantastic. Uh, One-year performance is on the 32, so that's very solidly second quartile, almost first quartile. And, you know, we we talked about it with ZEM, but, you know, I think what we'll see with these balance funds is over time, it's not just going to be a strong 
um, quartile ranking due to the really low fees and just disciplined approach. But I think what we're also going to see is a consistent ranking over time um, because there aren't large, um, you know, large bets that can can really swing performance. It's very simple, straightforward. So I think we'll see, you know, over time, continued strong performance on the quartile ranking. And, you know, I, I've expected to be pretty consistent as well. So I think it'll add great value for investors. You know, I'll put in a plug for ZEQT, which we just launched in uh, January or early February. And, um, and that's an all equity asset allocation solution. So that brings our lineup to, um, I believe, six of them. Mark, if I'm not missing any, we've got four of those kind of vanilla globally diversified solutions, uh, ZBalance, ZEQT included among them. We've got our BMO monthly income ZMI with that higher income focus and our ESG, Z-E-S-G, which is a balanced, similar to ZBAL with an ESG approach. So uh, great products doing very well. And I think that will be a characteristic over the uh, periods to come. Great. Thanks for that, Chris. And good to see that, you know, they're getting not only uh, a track record, which of course a lot of advisors and investors look for, but as well as you mentioned, uh, managing to hit first quartile, so a great uh, proof point for those portfolios. So with that, that's all the questions we have for today. So I wanna thank everyone for listening in. We really appreciate your time. Thanks as well to both Chris and Alfred, some really impactful conversations here, a lot going on in the marketplace, uh, giving us a lot of good speaking and thinking points to bring back to our own days. So thanks for that. And with that, I just want to thank everyone one last time and have a great day. Thank you to Mark Rays, Alfred Lee, and Chris Heeks for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we heard about the BMO Equal Weight Banks Index ETF, ticker ZEB, which offers exposure to the fundamental strength of Canadian banks in a period of market volatility. Our experts also discussed the BMO Short-Term U.S. Tips Index ETF in Hedged Units, ticker ZTIP.F, which can help offset inflation risks in combination with ZAG, the BMO Aggregate Bond Index ETF. For more information about the ETFs discussed in this podcast, check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca, that's bmoetfs.ca. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.